Welcome to Euphoria, episode three. We're finally back in the studio. This 3D. is real. Be impressed. Or am I still rendered in front of a green screen? Hard to say. Technology's come a long way. Maybe we're uh, AR'd in or VR'd in. Maybe this is the metaverse. Wait, <laughs> maybe we live in a simulation. Maybe we do live in a simulation. Um, so the metaverse now has Walmart and us. So I'd say so far it's kind of 50-50 on good and bad. Um, <laughs> at Daniel Drake, it's at Cadrill. I can love Walmart. <laughs> the the Twitterverse, if you want to follow us there. Spotify, SoundCloud, YouTube, Apple Podcasts are the place where you can check this out. Uh, originally, we were going to talk about the fact that Cadrill hasn't seen Mean Girls, but we've already figured out a I haven't seen Mean Girls, no. You can roast him for it if you want. I'm going to watch it tomorrow night. But we have something more important. So we've noticed... What's more important than Mean Girls? Uh, well, it would be the new Euphoria Weekly MVP. Oh my god! Yeah, like that. We just made this up okay. um, last weekend because we noticed... We've noticed a trend over the years. Uh-huh. The Kia Pog is great, but sometimes it's a popularity contest. For example, when Rogue would win any game, or even Misfits would win any game... When Han Sama was on a team and a mm-hmm. team would win a game, the man is both incredibly handsome, incredibly adorable, and also incredibly talented. So if someone on his team was equally talented, but let's say for whatever reason, less adorable... Um, Hans would always win. Hans would always win. Yeah. So we're making uh, our own little weekly... It, yeah. it doesn't mean anything. We maybe will get a trophy made for people, but like ultimately it's just we want to take a moment to recognize one player every week yeah. who's pop the hell off and maybe hasn't gotten all the recognition I think they deserve this is the mvp chosen by dracos and cage on the eu4 yeah. show but i think the fun thing about this that i just realized about this kind of idea is maybe we have different mvps coming into the week so we can maybe convince each other why we think our mvp should be the mvp yes and then that's how we decide and, for, and we mutually come to an agreement and after week three that's how it'll work yeah because sadly dear audience we've already decided we've already decided for the first two weeks yeah we skipped week one but now we're gonna cover week one and week two we'll cover week one week two and we'll do this probably not always at the start of show maybe more towards the end of show we'll or somewhere in the middle but mm-hmm. um want to give some recognition and again not hugely significant i'll make a bad photoshop graphic but i think the winner will get something some. If someone if someone gets more than anyone else, and you know we're gonna we'll we'll, we'll get him a thing. I don't know what that thing is we'll yet. Get, we'll, from Dragos and Cajel, we'll make love. him a shirt. Yeah, we'll make. We'll it says something. I won Euphoria MVP, and all I got was this stupid shirt. Something like that. That sounds that's cool. great. And on the back has like a big smiley uh, face. To be fair, um, Phil, our producer, um, his SO made these wonderful trophies Ooh. for us for MSI. So maybe we can get I've another <laughs> styrofoam trophy. I've got it. The winner becomes a cutout for the next season of euphoria <gasps> behind us oh that's very good you like that i actually think that's genius yes uh-huh. you see that's really good like that yeah so uh, the winner with most mvps gets a cutout of them yeah we do have to ask teams Something for like permission this. to do that so oh, uh, okay. if you are the team that does win i don't know why you would say no but like please say yes um <laughs> so anyway that's euphoria mvp uh let's go first two weeks you want to start week two or week one let's start week one let's start from the beginning so week one i think we both agreed on week one mvp yes he's been in the LEC for a while. I think yes. he is. I think we're going to talk about this later on. But in argument for the current best Western player, I believe. Yeah. Uh, and I think he had a fantastic week one and showed us why he still is so good. And it's Hillisang, right? Absolutely. I mean, look, you got the incredible Hilly Rakan. You got the start of the Zillion games, and I you got I think the Thresh, Thresh as well. And we his Brown engaging as well against Misfits. That was week two, but we're gonna yeah. look, look at week one. Thresh yeah. was Thresh Zillion Rakan week one. There's a reason Thresh is eighty percent of the time banned against Fnatic. There's a reason teams are first rotating Rakan to deny it from Hillisang on purpose. Yeah. Um, and then I mean he makes Zillion look like an engaged champ anyway, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah, and this entire season, uh, let's just keep it on week one because I think there's a lot to be said for Hillisang this season. But what I'll say is that 
Fnatic did not have great early game stats in week one, but they did go 3-0. And the big reason there, I think, is how incredibly consistent Hillisang was. And obviously there's team play. It was a huge team effort. Wonder had that great tower, mm-hmm. uh, you know, survival on the tower dive top side. That tank Gragas performance was sick. You had like good team play across the board. Humanoid did well. Fnatic's a good team overall. But the the core and the heart of Fnatic, I think we've like attributed it over the years to different players. First it was Reckless, then it was kind of this Blipo Hillisang duo. And now I really feel like to a certain degree, it's the upset Hillisang bot lane is the holdovers. But Hillisang uh-huh. really, when I think of like the fanatic identity of like crazy plays and comebacks, and obviously this is like, you know, that's a, maybe a little more narrative than analysis. But regardless, when I think of the identity of fanatic, Hillisang is now the player that I think of. And I think that mantle's been earned because he is the incredible playmaker that he's always been since the days on Unicorns of Love, but now tempered and better and just so freaking consistent. Like we haven't seen him. We've seen a couple Halo Sang moments. Don't get me wrong. He had that fresh tower dive in week one, but he's like, he popped the off in week one. Oh, he, he, he deserves that. Praise. Oh, he definitely does. And I, I, I mean, I don't think Halo Sang's underrated by anyone. I think everyone is very aware that he is probably the best sport uh, in yeah. the league. Just sometimes, but a bit overshadowed just by his role in general. I think if you think of last year, I don't know if it was spring or summer, because I remember I was on the desk all the time because I was part of the LEC now looking at stats and broadcast, but he had the most deaths of anyone. Oh, yeah. And he was happy about it. And then he comes into week one and has one of the highest KDAs, and I'm like, who, who the are hell are you? you? What and what have you done with Hillisang? <laughs> yeah, this is wrong. This is not right. He's just locked in this is not cool. Week two, he's playing Braum. Like, these Ring are, supports. Historically, if if you showed me, there's three champions that I'm deathly afraid of Hillisang playing. Zillion, which I only learned this split. I was like, oh, God. How's this? And, and uh-huh. it worked out. Braum is the other one because he plays Braum like it's Alistair you're used to with the reckless thing i remember something like the weirdest ganks of all times he was dying yeah. all the time on this champion the last is yumi just because the garen yumi era of he's like was he's so like the deathly cool. hallows isn't he the, yeah. the three champions you don't want to give him the, <laughs> the thrush to account and now actually the zillion as well oh my god alistar as well if that's ever meta hillisang alistar. i think hillisang is an incredible support player and the thing that's really cool in the hillisang narrative arc is not only has he tempered and i and i don't want to put the pressure on that he can never die because i think there is such a thing as a good death in league of legends but the the hillisang narrative arc now is that he's adding in champions that historically like when you saw hillisang on pike or rakan you were hyped when you saw hillisang on lulu you were like oh my god or morgana you're like please no but now that he's added zillion to the mix it gets me excited for what how deep the Hillisang champion pool mm-hmm. can go. And not just with wacky picks, but with some picks that we wouldn't consider Hillisang picks. Things like potentially Nami, things like Morgana. And don't get me wrong, the first time I see a Hillisang Nami, I'm still going to be like, oh, please, why is this guy playing But you Nami? know he's going to flash ult, flash bubble, flash yeah, engage. And, like you know he's what? eating I, himself I, running forwards with his AD carry next yeah, to him. Yeah, that's a crazy situation it's, to be in. It's the same in team fights. He was playing Zillion, upsets, getting CC'd right next to him. He just saves his ult, walks forwards, past his AD carry, uses his bombs and then ults himself or something. Like it's insane. My man's a Chad absolutely and i think well earned for week one and wildly uh i normally think it's pretty hard for supports to stand out and get recognition and it's not like we're going out of our way to correct that we're just no. when we see players play well we do that our, our week two player also a support yeah trimby i think he had amazing amazing weekend Especially speaking of yeah the 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 bubble into alti into good the, like yeah. that man was clean on nami he really was and especially when you look at their first game against mad lions where he plays blitzcrank he is he's just roaming the whole map like he is taking yep. over the map alone and his ad carry is not really giving up as much as uh, would be normal when you leave lane because his his timings were just so good and then of course, in the Nami game, he was in a comp with very little CC. It was a Lucian Nami lane. Of course, they were ahead, but he was against things like Akali, Lee Sin, and he's the only real hard CC, and he was playing team fights to perfection. And I, I like to watch a lot of the team voice comps. Yeah. And I was a bit worried for Rogue because, you know, when you lose hands inspired, who's going to be the voice? Because inspired was a quite vocal. Oduamne tried his best as a top laner to pitch in. Larson was rather quiet, but Hans 
we knew over the last few years became very dominant in a, in a vocal person when he's ahead. So I was watching the, the VODs of their games, Trimby's communication, he is taking over the comms. It's unreal. Like he's micromanaging, he's talking about everything in team fights, engaging, when to back off. Yeah. And to have such a big voice step up after just having a rookie year last year, I think that's an amazing thing to see, especially now that Malrang's come in. Maybe he's like a, a bit of an issue with English and things like this. So he can only say basic League of Legends terms like I'm going sure. in or Dragon or I'm going to do Herald. Uh, comp, I think he's quite quiet and reserved. Larson, similarly. So Otto Amnes in top lane, right? He can't really impact the bot side of the map, especially when you're playing jungle support AD. Especially or with the jungle TP changes mid. too, right? Like yeah, you're exactly. Just, you're not set up to impact the anything. The weak side machine is even weaker now. Like yeah. he can't help his team <laughs> now at all. So it's just Trimby. And uh, yeah, I think he's slotted in. Not even slotted in. He, the team has slotted so well around him and he's just he's just yeah. stepped up to the plate. And luck, so we do have a special guest today. It's Otto Amnes. He's going to be calling in. Uh, in the future, we want to bring guests into the studio, but there's always complications that can make things a bit more difficult. And um, we were a bit short notice this week on our guest request. So Otto Amnes, will be here which i'm excited and we're going to talk to him a little bit about trimby in these changes because if you guys remember back to last year odawamne was talking about some over communications for trimby yep. being a bigger voice than he needed to be not always relaying you know the best information and relaying sometimes too much or not useful information and so really excited to talk to mm -hmm. him about that transition but i think the big thing here is that trimby went in my eyes he's had a good season but especially a good week too i think the big development thing is cool is he went from Rookie who dies too much and just does dumb stuff. Gets caught a lot. And then, like, we had this... The playoffs run, which was just rough, was kind of just a tragedy. And then we had the Worlds run where it felt like they just kept putting him on range supports, and he just wasn't doing much. And so I really did not expect much from Trimby coming into this season. I wasn't sure where he could go. And he, it wasn't like his world performance was horrible. It just wasn't, it wasn't great. You know what I mean? And this split, not only has he been playing primarily range supports, but he's really been making it work. He's been super clean. They've been finding 2v2 kills in lane. It's been super solid across the team play. The fact that he's shown up in comms as well is so massive because I think sometimes when you're playing a range support, you don't get as many opportunities to show off the way you would if you play an Alistair or a Rel or, or whatever the hell, mm -hmm. Nautilus Leon. The flashing engage. Yeah. Um, and so I, I just props to Trimby for... Yep. He's always been uh, a super vocal and interesting guy to talk to, but I really think the, the play is is finally stepping up in a way that we were kind of waiting to see and the growth is just immense to see especially when you think of europe is just dominated by hillisang miki x and i feel like each year you can see the player growing and growing in the right direction and like you said getting caught a lot in spring over communicating in summer his world's performance left a lot to be desired from that yeah. rogue roster which was i mean a lot of question marks around them given the playoffs runs but it's hard to know what the mood was like in the team because everyone seemed a bit out of it and now two players yeah. have less so. it felt like that team collapsed a little yeah bit. And i don't want to put that entirely on trimby for sure that exactly. was uh, stuff was going on and i wonder if that affected him individually right because i think that should have been a group that rogue got out of especially given that they're against cloud nine for the tiebreakers which no one would have expected uh, but still uh, they've they fell short. Trimby's back, and I think he's doing fantastic so far. So, I mean, Rogue's undefeated. I think we have Fnatic versus Rogue this weekend as well. We so do. We get to talk to Odo about that. Who's going to go 18-0? Because one of them's not. Um, so, yeah. I'm going to have to find out. Um, again, week one, Euphoria MVP, Hillisang. Bam. Week two, Euphoria MVP is Trimby. I'm going to make some super mediocre graphics, and we will talk if they win about getting their cutout in the studio uh if you think that there's anyone we slighted or anyone we missed in those first two weeks remember most valuable player not like should be on the list for consideration just like like who do you actually believe is the best feel free to hit us up feel free to let us know because uh, this is an ongoing discussion and you know sometimes we're gonna miss people we're not we're not perfect there's, there's a lot of good standouts you know you can look at elio on mad lions who sure, had that yeah. amazing first game against vitality but in terms of just like raw consistency impact for the team i think i think we have the right candidates well but... and it's easy right now because both teams are undefeated to be like true someone on that team deserves mvp 
MVP. Not that that's the only qualification. A player on a team that's losing can still be more, uh, most valuable player. It's not always about who's just finding the wins. Um, that said, let's talk a little bit more about week two. And I think we have to kick off with um, the big turnaround, the kind of the most interesting team this season, I think, to watch because there's so much drama. Ooh, it's it's vitality. And like 0-3 start Spicy. into 2-0 weekend. Uh, and last week, of course, we asked about Alfari. And we'll talk about Alfari in a moment. But I, I would love to know from your perspective, Cadre, what what changed week one to week two in your eyes where we saw such a different, just completely different look from this team? I mean, it's I think it's quite obvious to the naked eye what the biggest change was. And it was just raw individual performance. I mean, I don't think anyone can really shy away from the fact that in week one, the, the, the names you have, if you took away the nameplates of the players they were playing in week one and you show me their lane phase i would never believe that they were the players who are actually on that roster you know carsey lebrov struggling to be two perks at his tier two in level five on vex when he counterpicks mid and had action flash ignite yeah know. flash ignite action gets ganked once and is out of the game self-made not really finding as much impact i mean the kiana game was okay but still like i would really not believe that that's the names that are on this team and then you look at week two it's night and day right perks is yeah. almost 100 cs up against caps in 25 minutes carsey's LeBrov are playing fantastic in the 2v2. Self-made is unleashed around the map. Elfari solo killing Broken Blade top in the 2v1 while his jungler's a little bit behind him. Like the, the stark difference in individual performance is so big. And as much as League of Legends is a team game, if your lanes are faltering in the first 20 minutes of the game, or well, we'll say 14 minutes in this case, we'll just take plates as an example, then you're, of course you're going to struggle because if your lanes get pushed in, you can't contest objectives, you lose out on dragons, you're forced to fight. So the game just slowly becomes worse and I mean, worse and worse. Also just like, if you're if you're playing badly, everything's gonna go badly. Yeah, like it's just it. You're gonna you're gonna miss buttons on a dragon fight. It's just it, like it, it doesn't. You must be this you know tall to ride the ride sort of deal. <laughs> like if you're not gonna hit the minimum threshold for you know performing, which yeah. I think like I don't want to be overly critical about the O3, but like that perks vex lane is a prime example of like what the hell is going on here. Mm-hmm. Like, who is, the, who is this player on stage right now? Perch really, really struggled that game. He did uh, not. He landed, like, maybe three abilities on Nuke Duck in the lane. And the, the funny, well, not the funny thing, the interesting thing to me is, uh, I think Mephisto had an interview. I can't remember exactly who it was, so I apologize for that. But he said that we came out of the gates just kind of playing what we wanted and just trying mm-hmm. to bring some spice into the league. We never really went to comfort picks. We just played what we thought could work and see if it does work and see if it sticks. And then you look at their draft, you know, things like the Akshan, you know, the Vex lanes with the, the counter picks into LeBlanc, counter picking top with Wukong, which we haven't seen Alfari play once in competitive. These kind of things where you're kind of wondering, hmm, okay. I mean, it's not really meta, but it does counter what they're answering. You know, they, sure, you give them yeah. Renekton, you pick Kennen into it, sure. You know, you have Jin lanes, you have Akshan into Yasuo, you have the push, sure. You have Vex into LeBlanc, all these things. You go into week two, they're playing Oriana, Filios, GP, right? It's as simple as um, you just look at their games across the board when they're playing uh, Perks on Corky. Oriana has played hundreds of the games, probably in competitive on these champs. Cars is playing a, lo- a Jinx Thresh lane. Um, Selfmate on Olaf, he looks fantastic. It's his comfort pick. They just made it a lot simpler. And I think that's what Mephisto said in the interview. He was like, look, week one, we were a bit too spicy with the picks. On top of the bad individual performances, on top of not being able to contest things, you have their TF, Kiana, Comp, Renekton, yeah. where they were so far ahead against Fnatic, they just threw the game by getting caught all the time. They made it much simpler and they performed much better than they uh, and up to par of expectations of these individuals. Um, so it all came together. Yeah, absolutely. Did. I'm excited to see what the development looks like week to week now to see if they can continue to uh, perform at this level, but then also slowly add back in that individual flair, that individual spice, the Akshan mid. Not that I ever really want to see Akshan mid again, but like, you know, that kind of individuality. Because I think like playing something stable is all well and good, but I do like when teams can also throw throw a curveball into the mix throw a kiana jungle in there, yeah you know what i mean i mean they they were they were playing with fire a bit you know leaving up things like 
yes for Diana Reddington, you know, Diana yeah, Reddington. Okay, uh, we can, okay, we can probably like, count to that. We like, have pushing lanes. There's like playing with fire and there's like putting your face into the fire. You yeah. know what I mean? There's like, there's a line between like um, risky decisions mm-hmm. and like jumping in front of a gun, you know? Yeah. And I think the creativity was also good. The communication looked good from the outside. I mean, it was symbolizing the G2 game, right? They picked Caitlyn Zyra. Now... You could get caught off guard by pocket picks and be like, oh no, Zyra lane. I haven't played against this in four years. What the hell does it do into yeah. Thresh? I get pushed in. Like, Zyra's good into Thresh in lane. Southman was like, guys, just sh- I'll just level two gank them. Game's over. Zyra, level two Zyra very unsuccessful in right. the OEC, by the way. Like, yeah. not since the season whatever era where she was, like, super, super popular. Because she's been played a few. She got played by Sir Nukes a lot. I remember Heva played it as well. I think Heva played Sir Nukes a lot, played it, and got absolutely bodied by Caps as Zoe. That was when we literally saw Paddlestar one shot as Zoe, like, uh, Zyra, uh-huh. like, six times in Yeah, a that's, the, that's the weakness of Zyra, right? As a range support, <laughs> you know, your lockdown is a skill shot, and then, of course, you ult a lot of damage, but you gotta get through the lane phase, and Selfman was like, look, if I level two gank this lane, they're out of it. They're playing Caitlyn Zyra. Caitlyn needs to win lane, or she's really yeah. useless. And if Caitlyn's sitting onto her tower, well, it's already lost, and Zyra similarly. So the second that level two gank came in and they lost summoners, it was like, wow like uh, yeah wow and i'll against the gp as well <laughs> and and i'll give targums the benefit of the doubt that he probably knows something about that pick and saw something in scrims that we didn't but i'll just say that on paper tank zyra sounds like or tanky build zyra support just sounds like booty it just sounds like a, a bad version uh, of aftershock uh, lux when aftershocks look i think good. the logic is you pick it with caitlin you win your lane you get such a big advantage in your kate and then you just become a frontliner for your kate and like a cc bot right yeah, but if that yeah. it's, it's a very kind of step-by-step process where if you one of the steps fails i think you're back to square one and the game's already over at that point right because if you go back to square one after having lost your lane as caitlin's iron you need resources still then where is that resources coming from when you're against gp aphelios right you can't really ever walk up oriana as well yeah, maybe my real issue is I just hate anything that's any Caitlyn lane. It's just all, it's all the same. It's all the same. Yeah. Like, unless you're doing a defensive support, which I don't think super is the best way to maximize Caitlyn's value. All those Caitlyn supports, the Morgana, the Aftershock Luxes, it's just like, if you fall behind, all those champions just feel like they just get one tapped in every single team fight. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, props to G2 for trying something. Why not? Yeah. You know, uh, I think Vitality tried in week one, G2 tried in week two. Lux was open if they wanted it, but uh, the thing that I saw i tweeted about it actually was there's so many hateful comments towards players and i was talking to this with dom about it it's like uh vitality goes oh three in one week and everyone's like wow this team's like terrible washed up horrible and i was looking at some of the reddit comments and then i go to week two and they win and they're like wow it's gonna be the best team in europe like this team's so good g2's washed up when at the start of the week week one g2 was supposed to be looking pretty good for worlds this year yeah. now g2's washed up and everyone should replace all these players well, and like I think there's so much overreaction in the LEC in, in, in the first couple of weeks of spring. And I think people should realize that spring split, new team, start of a brand new season on a new patch, one best of one doesn't define a player, right? Absolutely. And I think that there's there's kind of two discussions I want to have in this world of Vitality and G2. And I think we can we can end. We asked a question about Alfari last week about carrying. I think we can end on the Alfari query question because I think this is probably the more immediately pressing question is talking about fan expectations and and to a certain degree fan reactions like i think people can be super toxic and i hope that people recognize that best of one ever and just in general a single week of results and even like a half a split of results like how many times have we seen a player just grief at all regular season just to pop off in playoffs or a player be absolutely god tier in regular season and then mm. just and then inversely grief it in playoffs you know what i mean True. um <laughs> i it's whenever people react that strongly to stuff i feel like 
or toxically reacting strongly being like i am super super disappointed in vitality after week one this is not the team that i wanted blah, blah, blah. like that's all fine but the second you start being like these guys are useless yeah, they're never like, gonna be good i knew he was washed there's a lot there's time. like a line you know, exactly and i wish right. more people would respect that line but like i i understand the feeling behind it even if i think the actions taken aren't great mm-hmm. but um i think this is a really important question because i think that it's true of any player i feel like that has a long and strong history it's like as much as that expectation is used to level them up when there's moments of doubt it's also used to tear them down i feel like because the second like perks is like has such an incredible history that will always probably give perks the benefit of the doubt kind of like we did with g2 and reckless and that super team last year until they're actually out mm-hmm. the downside is the second perks like underperforms people just dog pile in like if this guy was like no name rookie no one would care exactly Literally, no one it's, would it's care mixture, because it's perks they want to like obliterate this guy yeah i think it's a mixture of a couple things right the first one being the expectations on the best west one of the best western players of all time sure. right yeah. like this guy should perform this guy should be carrying no matter what all the time so you can never really have a game where you're playing bad because the second you do everyone's there to see you fail right because you're at the top everyone's ready to see you fall kind of right so the second you start losing everyone kind of goes in so i mean vitality after week one of course they left a lot to be desired I mean, they they played pretty bad as well, yeah. right? It's a long year. World is nine months away, right? It's week one of a spring split, and it's a brand new team. Uh, then you go into week two. They play good again. Great. Are they are they going to be the best team in Europe now? Probably not yet. It's really hard to say, but I'm glad they're on the up, right? Yeah. And I think the big thing here is that we saw kind of the the torch, in this case, literally, because these players that are getting flamed passed from uh, perks to caps because perks absolutely mm-hmm. bodied caps in that mid lane matchup. I mean, it, perks oh, yeah. played incredible. Don't get me wrong, and I think caps really struggled in that lane and i was caught off guard by how insanely one-sided that mid lane matchup was and while caps absolutely deserves to be criticized for that game i think people have taken it far but this kind of brings us to the important part of the conversation that we've had a little bit it sounds like you and dom have had a little bit too is like especially for g2 now what are reasonable expectations for players like caps and yeah in this case not like caps and yankos what are reasonable expectations for caps and yankos because we've seen the highs of 2019 and we'll always call back to them because those were a, that was a great time. Everyone, right? Wunder, Mickey, yeah. Perks, Caps, Yankos, everyone was playing so good. Everyone was so good at that time. But now we've got the two players left over on the G2 lineup are Caps and Yankos. And they bear the burden of like all of G2's previous successes. And in some ways, that's great, again, because um, they're legends and, they've, and they're, you know, they will always be legends. And we can never take that away from them, even if they sprint it for the rest of their careers. Um, but what now here in 2022 what do, what do you think are actually like reasonable expectations for caps and yankos because i don't think based on what we've seen in the last few splits that we can expect caps to be the 2018 worlds 2019 worlds caps where it was like just be there for caps because at some point he will just outplay them he'll bring he will make an advantage exactly. i remember brocks talking about this he will find an advantage out of nowhere and all you have to do when you want to jungle for this guy is be there when he does it so that he doesn't die too that, you know that's the thing that's the beauty of what caps was on g2 um and i feel like that hasn't happened recently you know even when i i mean my example might be a bit poor but i played against him a lot in scrims uh, in 2018 and you would play against him and he would just take risks that you would never expect like take it i would i would lane against him maybe like six games a day every couple of weeks and i would go for an aggressive trade on him which i think is instantly winning but he'd find some way to turn it around to me to lose the trade and this would happen in the game he has this mojo and this flair and this kind of like clutch factor that you just never really expect to find a pick that just opens up the game or he does this crazy outplay or cap solo killed perks you know or he's a kali and he's doing some crazy shenanigans top 1v3 and 
they have caps, right? You're 5k gold up, but they have caps. Yeah. You know, that's that's what you're thinking. And I've been in that situation. You're a couple of thousand gold up. 2019 spring, we played against this new super team of G2. Week two, we were three, 4k gold up. We were winning, but they have caps. So it's like, oh, we still need to be really careful. <laughs> he has this mojo, this aura around him where you're like, damn, this is going to be hard to close out. But I feel like it's been lacking over the last year. And it's hard to pinpoint what it is. And I always wonder, how is Caps' motivation? I always ask myself, like, how is Rasmus doing? You know, we, we always talk yeah. about Caps, but like, as a person, how is Rasmus doing? Is he enjoying the game? Is he still grinding as much? Because I remember hearing stories of Caps just kind of sitting there grinding League for 14 hours a day, forgetting yeah. to eat, sleep, drink or anything. And, you know, people would have to be like, Caps, yeah, here's some food. Rasmus, here's some food. Make sure you stay hydrated, stay healthy. And he would just have this this awe for the game and he would love it and he would grind it. Um and then someone went into Caps' chat a couple of days ago and said like, hey, Keijo was talking about you on his stream and he wondered how you're doing. And he says, um, well, I'm still really motivated and I love the game. The only thing that I'm missing is the crowd and, and the, the drive and the crowd cheering. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, he went to two back-to-back -back world finals in 2018, 2019 with one of the biggest stages in the world. Yeah. In, in I believe it was Korea in 2018, Europe in 2019, like the biggest stages. China, the, right? China, was it China? Which was, no, it was Korea. I think it was, it was Korea, Korea, right? Korea, yeah. yeah China, Korea. China was 2017, my bad. Yeah, 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 yeah. Korea and you, these massive world final stages, back-to-back, -back, Caps, the Aura, the Mojo. Where is it? 2020, it was slacking a bit. 2021, we didn't see much of it. Well, And it's very hard to pinpoint what it is. You could go into in-game stuff and be like, well, if you remember old versions of G2, Mickey would pincer mid from bot side, Yankos would pincer mid from top side, play for Caps, stream and dive, mm -hmm. unlock him on the map, let Caps do Caps things. And we saw a little bit of that last year still, but... The, it feels like the mojo and the flair isn't there anymore and it's so hard for me even as an analyst to just be like this is the reason because i yeah. feel like it's more than just in-game it's more than just the roster i feel like this could go a little bit out of game and he said it himself like the motivation levels when you're playing on a stage versus in you know at home it's so much different for him well and i think that like we don't know everything that happened last year on g2 but we know it was difficult environment and we saw a lot of the iconic names and players underperform last year on G2 Esports. Whatever whatever happened in that team environment. And it does feel, I wonder how much of that has stuck with them. Because you look at Wonder, and Wonder gets like a completely fresh start. Um, Mickey's gone. Reckless gets a completely fresh start in K-Corp. Um, but Yankos and Caps are still holding some of the pieces, it feels like to me, in the sense that um, neither one of them gets to completely start fresh. Um, Dylan's coming in. Hopefully, I bring, he's bringing that fresh environment. But they're in the same gaming house. They're going to play and scrim in the same room that they've scrimmed in since they moved in, into that building however mm -hmm. long ago. Um, and, you know, I've, I've been to that house, and it's like, it's cool. It's great. G2 has done a great job setting them up. But it is, this area is for scrimming, this area is for living. And like just playing and living in that environment, I imagine, would make it really hard to take work seriously. It's like yeah. when we first started working from home, and this, again, this pandemic stuff, like everyone knows it. It's like super common. So I'm going to repeat some stuff that people know for sure. But like, bear with me. It's It's hard when your gaming space is also your living space and that there's no line between scrims and stage other than this one is now a stage game. Yeah. You know, you're still at home exactly and in your pajama pants, but you got your G2 jersey on, you know, like that's that's a hard thing to, at least I imagine, take super seriously. And it's definitely why I, I suck at remote casting. I really struggle with it. So I can't even imagine yeah. needing to play a, a game of League of Legends at this competitive level remotely and i feel like once you get that taste of playing on a massive stage and that gets taken away from you it always is going to hurt because i mean you think of 20 i think it was 20, 20 2019 g2 I mean, they were in scrims versus damon damon was stomping them in scrims mm -hmm. but you go on stage and you have a crowd and there's the pressure and the atmosphere and like the ambiance of like 
you are playing on a world's quarterfinal stage. Yep. Don't choke. And that's where yeah. G2 shined. That's where G2 was like in their comfort zone. You know, Perks on down one, two. Caps is on stage doing Caps things. Even Humanoid has, I think he said this publicly as well, like he prefers playing when there's a stage or it's an important game. I mean, we when saw it's just a regular last year, spring. Humanoid like plays the level of his opponent. Yeah, he was, he would yeah. grief regular season games sometimes. He would just die randomly outside. Like it just, but in big games, he was always going toe to toe. He's always fist fighting with the best players in the and world. The last thing I'll say is, I mean, season nine, season eight, you can look at Caps as champions played, you know, most played in season nine, Silas, Akali, Rice, LeBlanc, Irelia. Season eight, you've got Zoe, Irelia, Yasuo, Talia, yeah. right? These are champions you can really have impact on. And I feel like the way the league's been moving in the last couple of years is there's been more neutralizers to lanes. So you can look at the in-game stuff and try to analyze that a little bit, which I tried. I've spent hours looking at these kind of caps, vods, what's going on, what's happening. Yeah. I think league's gone to a point where it's so neutralizing. Lane doesn't matter as much. Dragon's fights are where it's really important. Individual prowess doesn't shine as much because if you pick a carry top, I'll just pick Gragas. Yeah. I'll just pick a tank. Or you're picking, you're picking a skill matchup mid like Yasuo, I'll pick Corky or, or Victor and I'll farm. And I'll be stronger than you in team fights. All I have to do is not make a mistake. So it's on you to find something that isn't my mistake, which is very difficult. Whereas in season nine, when you're playing like Silas Lee Sin mid jungle and the enemy mid jungle, it's like Akali Silas matchup, LeBlanc, Lissandra mm -hmm. matchups, these kind of things. Lissandra was kind of like the first taste of nullifiers that we got to see moving into like season 10, season 11, where I'll just pick something to stop your lane from working and I'll pick something to shut your lane down, which I mean, is healthy for the game because it makes it so you can play different kind of styles, more scaling, more safe, more aggressive, but it also kind of takes away that beauty factor of like, you know, nowadays when we see an Akali pick, we're like, oh my God, he picked Akali. Oh my God, we've got Irelia top. Season eight, season nine, that happened every game. Yeah, I it think was a first pick Akali, a first pick earlier, right? So the meta is a lot more safe and maybe that's, one of the reasons as well why, you know, he can't have as much impact as he'd want. Yeah. And I think that I, I want to be clear here. Like, ultimately, like, whenever you involve something as intangible as, like, emotional factors and performance, it becomes really hard to criticize a player. So I want to be clear. Like, Caps is not performing. And whether yeah. you want to take the factors that we've taken into account and Caps' word for it, ultimately, if you're a G2 fan... It's okay to be like, I really want Caps to get back to that form. I think he I should want him to get back as well. I I'm think not he even a G2 fan. Better. Better. I don't think he's performing good enough. Those are all super valid criticisms, and I don't want to invalidate all of them just by saying, because it's not. I don't want to say it's like a free pass, but I do think that like it's easy to to give him a free pass again because of the history. So exactly. if your if your opinion is I want more from Caps, I think Caps should be performing better. I think that that is totally fair. I think that is totally valid because I don't want to just sweep everything that is, you know, like lackluster about his performance under the rug and be like, when the crowds are back, it'll be fine because we still don't know that. But if you're a Caps fan, I think it's okay to hold out hope for that. And if you're a G2 fan, I think it's okay to ask more from your mid laner. Again, though, put down the pitchforks a little bit. Mm -hmm. It's a week. It's a brand new roster. Like, the fact that G2 did it, were solid in week one, I thought was pretty impressive, that they retained some of that like chaotic playmaking identity that the previous team have. I also thought was good. And it's, again, it's a bad week. Maybe it continues to be bad, but this is a new team. And I think let go of some of the previous expectations while Caps and to a certain degree, Yankos and these these players as a whole climb, try to climb back up. To yeah, that. don't make an accountability Reddit thread or anything like this about yeah. the player, oh you know. I, I'm like I'm not a G2 fan. I'm not a fan of any team specifically. I'm just a fan of League of Legends. I'm a fan of players. I'm a yep. big player kind of driven person, you know. A Caps is one of them, one of the best players ever. I want to see him return to the form that we saw. Yeah. I want to see the beauty of just watching him play and knowing he's going to do something. And, you know, that's flair that G2 had in 2019, 2020 even, where you're like, Okay, they're down, but they're G2. Yep. And, you know, that was built by the individuals. That was built by players like Perks and Caps. Yep. And these players, when you are ahead against them, 
you cannot take it lightly, your lead, no matter how sure. big of a deficit. And I hope to see that come back. And I don't know what this specific factor is, but um, yeah, I think it's safe to say that when you look at 2019 and 2022 caps specifically, there is an underperformance, there is a drop in performance. I just want to see it come back one day. Absolutely. And I think that was a really important topic to cover. We're going to, um, for those who chipped in on the Alfari topic, we're going to save it for next week because I want to make sure that we have due diligence to give that the time. Because I think it's an interesting discussion. And also, as we get more games recently, we'll be able to talk more about the concept of whether or not Alfari is a carry. So if you submitted uh, questions or opinions, thank you so much for taking the time. People like Taro, people like Tom, who reached out and wrote. Um, we'll jump in on that next week because right now we have a man on standby who we absolutely need to hear from. None other than top laner for the currently undefeated Rogue. It is Odawame. It's our distinct pleasure now to welcome to the show none other than top laner for the undefeated, incredible Rogue Undisputed. Lineup. Master of a thousand kills, not quite 2,000 deaths, but he's working on it. None other than We're getting better. Odawame, one step at a time. Um, welcome, dude. How are you doing? How, how's life? Uh... Happy to be here. Sad I can't be in this mm -hmm. uh, kick-ass studio that you guys, that studio looks sexy. Sheesh. Yeah, yeah but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but other than that, uh, I'm happy to be here. Happy that Euphoria is back, that LEC is back. So, yeah, just happy to be here and get some good content out there. Hell yeah, boys. dude. That's the positivity I was looking for. Um, we're going to talk about Rogue. But before we talk about Rogue, we have to talk about the other great piece of information, the news that Papa Rito has given us all a great and wonderful gift. It's a, it's a Christmas miracle, <laughs> Drake. I'm telling you, I thought miracle. it was Christmas. Every time uh, a bell rings, uh, Chemtech Drake loses its wings, apparently. Um, <laughs> so Chemtech, Chemtech Drake is gone. Odo is the only person who's had to play pro with Chemtech Drake. Are you, are you living your best life right now? Are you happy about this? Uh, I mean... I thought the the buff that Kemtech gives you is all right, a bit niche, but all right. The soul was um, okay because I felt like they nerfed him, they nerfed the soul long enough to actually become decent and not be game breaking OP like it was on release. Mm -hmm. But the the terrain was the big uh, the big yikes. The terrain I felt like was kind of really non interactive. I mean, there were so many times where you just walk into the jungle and there's uh, the whole team is just in the fog and you don't get to see it. So I felt like that was the problematic mechanic of the map, not not so much the the buff and the soul, because it it made it really hard to retake or contest. Even when you're ahead, like even if you're ahead, if there's if enemy team has tempo and they're just camping in the fog, even with the plans that they introduced, I felt like it wasn't really enough. I mean, the the plans, the vision plans that would spawn very often were a good addition to the game and made it a bit healthier. But still, I think it was uh, the map kind of missed the mark there. Yeah, I think the changes right through over the last few years is like, it's weird at first, but you slowly get used to it. So like the blast cones, when they first came into league, I was like, what the hell is this, man? But after like three weeks, I was like, oh, it's not too bad, but I could never really get used to the Chemtech Drake. Uh, Kumayushi said in an interview, it's definitely hard for the losing team because the fog limits a lot of vision. As for the soul, well, the revive effect isn't that strong, just the dragon is overall changing the map is so annoying to play against. Yeah, it seems like the general consensus is just that the fog had to go. So I wonder what I actually wonder. Imagine what, Rengar right now. He's got his camouflage buffs, and he's like, "Well, <laughs> now what, guys? You know, like all the camouflage disappeared. It's like, fuck, jumping camouflage." The guy who has to make the Rengar changes to make it work for Chemtech Drake. It takes you like working late night hours to balance the shit to get that code in. They're like, "Actually, we're gonna remove that from the game." You know what? <laughs> second thought. <laughs> actually, Odo, when did you guys get notified that it was being removed? Um, did Riot tell you earlier on? Were you told at the start of the week? Because obviously, it won't be on the LEC this weekend. 
Yeah, I don't think we got notified because uh, I saw it last night. Uh, last night when it went live, I was like, oh, okay, well, it's gone. Because I don't think we got any prior uh, uh, notification or anything. I think it was just uh, they flipped the switch on Chemtech and mm-hmm. then they post it and we were like, well, okay, very, uh, no Chemtech. Yeah, it's a very sporadic decision. Just all of a sudden, boom, okay, it's gone. That's it. You're not disabling it for a few days. Well, it's just gone from the LEC as well. And it's really <laughs> interesting because it's right, like you saw Akali's turret shroud mechanic which i think was like pretty universally hated like that got patched out (laughs) oh my god you know what i mean like or hot fixed or whatever the (laughs) hell happened with that aphelios blue got on release yeah yeah but like these are things like these things got fixed in the next patch like how hated did chemtech drake have to be uh for this to actually go down phil are we good by the way odo's camera camera i'm kind of frozen i think it's i think it's our camera being doing wait one second okay Okay, small technical difficulty there, but we have swapped cameras and now we are uh, good to go. Back in business. Back in business. I was I was just saying that I think that the um, what's wild is how quickly this has happened and how just rapidly this has been taken out of the game. Because like, yeah. we had super OP Akali, completely invisible under towers. That was fine. That waited a patch. Blue Gunnephelios is the one that you pointed out mm-hmm. that could wait a patch. The Zoe. Literally the <laughs> last time they took something out this rapidly, other than like small hotfixes is like when they killed gp for that lore event and he just actually yes, disappeared yes. for a <laughs> for like when was two, that i don't even remember you know, that so before the gp rework they like killed him in the lore and literally took him out of the game for like i, I, don't, right, remember, I don't remember if it was a week or a couple days odo was yeah, around it was for this 2016. yeah it was 2016 worlds was coming up okay so the thing is they remade gp right before worlds and it was i think yeah it was 2016 worlds 15 or no 15, 2015 15, yeah 15 yeah. It's 2015 worlds, and he literally died, <laughs> and like, unjokingly died. And he was disabled for like a while, and then it was playoffs. But he was disabled for playoffs, but he couldn't like practice him anywhere because he was dead. So he just got removed from the champ select. Yeah, it was like no, he was there. He was there, and then the champion got perma banned. 99% of the games that was along with Mordekaiser as well. Oh yeah, that patch. So, that that world patch with yeah, the Mordekaiser dragon thing. That but, <laughs> but that was literally like they killed him in the lore. <laughs> and he was removed from... The, they were so Jesus. committed to the lore that he was just gone. But I think the, the good thing about all of this is like Riot actually don't just say, you know what, we're right. It's community to one side, no. They actually changed it. They actually like, you know what, a bit sporadic, you know. Then it just yeah. came out of nowhere. I will say, but like the good thing is, Riot actually budged on their opinion. Like, you know what? We're wrong on this. We made it messed up here, or maybe we couldn't really fit this into the game as well as we wanted to. You guys are right. We're going to take it out. Communities, everyone, I think, is rejoicing because the comments I saw on social media, everyone's like, "Thank God for this." I'm so happy. Um, but I think it's respect to Riot for actually, you know, pulling back on that. I frankly, as a spectator, I'm sad. <laughs> Because I know it sucked to play against, but I, you you highlighted it earlier when El Yoyo goes to take Raptors and suddenly there's literally five members of SK on top of him. That was great to watch, Cable. <laughs> Odo, I understand it sucked to play against and it was bad and it was horrible, but it was fun to watch. You just want to see you just want to see the world burn, Jacobs. You want to see Yasuo, Yone. You want to see these crazy jungles. You want to see the game end in five minutes. You want to see Chemfog. You want to see like invisible gray how, screens. Yeah. Uh, how much how much do I have to bribe Freddy to get a Yone top for you in the future, Odo? That's my question. I actually practiced it this offseason, but I think it kind of fell off a bit. Oh. But I do have—I think I did get like twenty-five or thirty Yoni games this uh, offseason. But uh, hey. sadly, I don't know if he fits in the meta. Now but you guys talking about Chemtech Fog? Like, imagine how chaos would be if the map would be active from the first minute of the game. The game starts and there's Chemtech Fog. 
Dang. What if the river dried up and became a desert? And then the crab disappeared and turned into a scorpion. And in the desert, you would move slower. The scorpion ganks you? You'd move slower because it's quicksand. And you'd fall into the quicksand and get stunned every five steps. Um, that just came to me right now. That's the worst idea I've ever heard. The whole point of <laughs> the river it. is it's the shortest path and most reliable path between lanes. If you make it inefficient, contesting river means nothing. Yeah, but you change all the, you always change the jungle zones, but the river always <laughs> remains the same. I want to change the river. The river is an important piece of the map. Yeah, King but what Paul. if someone drank out the river and now it's empty? You got to think about these True. things. Lore. Oh, my God. Oh, Lore. No, Maybe um, Nami used the tidal wave. And... Before we talk about Rogue... <laughs> <laughs> How did you survive duo queuing with this man? Like, what, did you just have to like we hold, this, I, I, hold his hand he, every second of the way? Listen to he, this. He did someone with drink Rang. the river? Hey, he dueled with Malrang. He lost. He dueled with me. We won. True. You know, I, like, okay, the thing is, my main account right now, I think it's like it's chilling somewhere at like 42 or 41% win rate somehow. But after I dueled with Kedril for like eight games, I kind of took away from uh, his... Um, uh, Elo infusion, mm -hmm. and now my win rate on that account is godly 80% or so. There it is because of Kedril. So, uh, Damn. yeah, but we did have some big highlights. Like when I played with him, I, there was like some, uh, how do I say, some clips circulating the, the World Wide Web no. of his gameplay and mechanics. It's not about, and it's not, I think, no, it's not about I how think you I can win. see where the Elo came from. It's, it's not about how you win, it's the fact that you did win. Uh, it's it, not about how it, you cross well, the line, well, it's the fact well, that you crossed the line. Uh, I think it's pretty important. No, that we don't look at the context of the I, games. No, the we look at the wins. Really yeah, no, we look at the win rate, percentage. No, it's stats. different. Because like, no. uh, you gotta understand, when you get elected president because the people voted for you versus you appoint yourself the president, it's a very different context. Th there may have been some happy little accidents in those games. You know, I was shaking <laughs> off a little bit of rust, but the point still stands. That we won a lot of games, and the Fair. cage, the cage will buff. See, if you ever need a duo partner, hit me up. I give you some wins, and then you go on a win streak. It's just it's as simple as that. It's the All mojo. Right. There was I, Odo had the opportunity to flame you, but he backed you up, and I respect that, Odo. You're you're a true homie. Everybody needs. A That's one of the like rad you. moments where you can actually back me up for once. My man. That's true. Uh, but if you have those <laughs> clips of that uh, questionable gameplay, feel free to send them my way. I would love to um, play them for you. Also, I hosted Odo Amne, and I heard he he started World War Three with my chat. True, true. I mean, to be honest, when you get like a bunch of Zoomers in the chat, like, you know, I had like 8,000 Zoomers in my chat, all spamming, I can't, 12-year-olds. You can't watch. And then all I have to do... <laughs> okay, okay, wait, we've officially, now we've officially crossed the like, oh my back God. to League of Legends yeah, of the back, LEC. Yeah. Oh, no. <clears throat> You've beaten a lot of people. Some of them might have been Zoomers in the last few weeks. And me. You're, you're, and Kedril. 5-0 um, now. Uh, obviously, you're probably feeling pretty good about the season, but how is it going in the team overall? Are you surprised at how quickly you guys have been able to be this successful? Uh, not, not. I mean, when we first started screaming, we had some issues. Obviously, we have a non-speaking English uh, jungler, most of the role in the game and all of this. So there was like some barrier at first and it was a bit hard, but things got better with time. But I think when we came back into January and we started screaming, things were like kind of getting better. I felt like the the big thing that we had going for us was the fact that we were improving uh, pretty fast. And um, we are kind of all open to listening to each other, which we didn't really have in the previous iteration of the Rogue roster. Uh, so yeah, screens were all right. We felt like we were in good form or like decent form. But I always saw like the schedule at the beginning of the season and I saw our first five games and I was like, okay, if we want to be good, we have to be 5-0 because um, this week or like next week uh, of LEC, we have Fnatic and Vitality, the big boys. And 
I feel like this is the the first real test. Uh, get it? This in Mad Lions. <laughs> 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 But yeah, this is like the first test for us with uh, Fnatic and Vitality. And I feel like this is the point where we see if we're actually decent or if we can be a contender or whatever, or if we're just uh, like fine. I wouldn't say we're bad, but we're like fine, you know, because yeah, 5-0 with the, te- with the teams that we had is quite, uh, wouldn't say expected, but if you want to contend, uh, it should be a given. And yeah, now is the big test, and now we need to see what's going to happen this week. Yeah, for context, for anyone uh, on on whoever missed the LEC, Rogue played against SK, Misfits, Astralis, Mad, uh, and then BDS. So kind of like expected middle to bottom pack teams, and then Mad lines. People below them on the tier list, most certainly, um, in a lot of cases. Although to be fair, we put Mad above you guys, and you guys have definitely uh, come out swinging. I think the thing that excites me the most from what you said is that, and you mentioned this in PGL too, that you guys are you guys. Are, one have this open environment and two that you're also you're all clicking you're getting along well it feels like a bit of it's a personality fit which i think is super cool when you take into account the like language and culture barriers that often could be experienced or have been experienced in the past with um, when you bring a korean player into a european gaming house so talk to me about about that team dynamic um does it give you like optimism and hope for the future of this rogue lineup like how high do you think you guys can go now that you have an environment where you feel like People are getting along and everything is open. Because that sounds like a really big shift from from what I heard about last year. Yeah, I feel like it's important because it kind of uh, offsets the fact that people would think or like objectively think that uh, this roster doesn't have as much talent as it had with, uh, you know, Hansen inspired everyone saying that they're the best in the role and they left. So people perceive this as being a, a downgrade. But... I feel like this team kind of has mad 2021 vibes where they're maybe not the most insanely talented individuals, uh, but the fact that they have a coaching staff and their personalities kind of like mesh well together, that they can improve and they always have uh, growth or they should always showcase signs of growth. I feel like that's a thing that's kind of exciting for me because I haven't really had... um, a team dynamic like this for a while. I think last time I had a team dynamic like this was maybe Splice 2017, where even though we weren't really like contending, we were kind of this roster that is not really insanely stacked on paper, but uh, due to the fact that we got uh, we got together pretty well and we were improving consistently, it felt pretty good. So it's definitely a shift and I feel like it's a bit more relaxed as well and I have uh, a bit more room to showcase uh, what I can do than I had um, last year, I think. I think that's important because a lot of teams at the start of a split or a brand new roster comes together. You always have like that honeymoon phase where mm-hmm. it's like three, four, five weeks, however long it may be of just like good vibes, good feelings. But seeing the signs that this will last for an entire year is so important because I think when shit starts to hit the fan, that's when you need those good vibes because eventually it does. There's no roster in any League of Legends who goes undefeated no matter what. You're going to lose on Sage. You're going to lose a game or two uh, on a weekend or you're going to have a bad couple weeks. You need to be able to overcome it, I think. Yeah. and what- I mean, I have a theory about... Uh, sorry. No, Drake, go ahead. I have a theory about this, but uh, I don't know if I've said it be- before, but I think every single year in every single roster, at least in EU... There's always going to be civil war. And at the end of uh, playoffs, the team who had the the least destructive civil war is going to win or the team who ends the civil war the fastest wins. Because I just feel like uh, the region is so stacked with personalities and everyone is just uh, 
wouldn't really say toxic, but has like this ego and this drive and passion to win. Uh, the, the conflict is inevitable, you know? So I feel like it's going to happen at some point and the team who manages to fix all of this is most likely going to get further than the team with like individual talent just because, uh, yeah, w what's talent going to do if you hate each other? Yeah, I agree yeah. with that 100%. If you look at the last year of LEC, I mean, Mad Lions vibes looks incredibly good outside the game. I mean, if the, your team this year looks similar, that's just such a good sign because vibes carries you so much further than individual skill. Yeah, and it's so... It's hmm. in, in, a, in a long in a long no, split, long I, season. I, I agree. Like the the impact of having a good working environment, everyone being on the same page, I imagine is super important. And I don't want to go looking backwards too much because I think there's so many exciting things in front of you. But like how much Rogue kind of collapsed last summer, and Worlds also felt a little bit difficult. Like was were you guys the loser of that civil war? Were you guys the team that like felt that the most heavily? Because I don't think from the outside people ever looked at Rogue outside of maybe a few rumors here and there as a team that was going to have a lot of internal conflict. Like people looked at Fnatic, sure. People looked at G2, sure. But like Rogue was never on the list of like high conflict team. You guys were pretty good, I guess, at keep, if there were issues at keeping that out of the public eye. So is that, how big of an issue was that for you guys? Oh, I mean, we had plenty of civil wars, I think. Um, I think spring, like all the way back in spring when we lost the first time to Mad Lions, we had literally biggest civil war uh, that you had, I think. It was literally that bad and we managed to literally save it the night before the game against G2. And then we clapped G2 and then we went to finals and then we lost. But that sucks. But civil war ended then. But uh, I mean, the fact that we managed to pull it out of civil war the night before G2 game was uh, a big win for us. Um wouldn't really say that we had so many other full blown out civil wars, but we did have a lot of tension and stuff. And it did get into uh, like between us and progress um, because uh, we had some personalities that didn't really like fit well together and we were hitting a lot of walls and people weren't really willing to make compromises and stuff. Um, I mean, I guess we kept it out of the public eye, but then again, I think literally every team in EU keeps it out of the public eye, even G2, Fnatic, mm -hmm. Mad. Even Mad, I, I'm 100% sure that even Mad, with the vibes that we see from them, they were the full-on, they're getting along super well. For sure, they had civil wars as well. Everyone has civil wars. Um, but it's just like how you manage it. I mean, we managed it okay, but it would have been nice to have a bit less, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of those things where it's like in five, six years, seven years time, you look back, you're like, damn. The vibes were pretty rough. And I think that <laughs> I think it's it's so important because those kind of arguments or those discussions, those civil wars or whatever it may be, like leads to many different things. It can lead to lacking confidence in your teammates and trust. Like I'm not gonna come to your lane or I don't yeah. really trust you on these picks, or I'm kinda unsure with the draft already. It can lead to tension, like you said. So even outside the game, you lose a scrim set and there's just the atmosphere is bad. Like no one's really talking to each other, looking at each other. And no one really wants to speak up either. So I think like getting it out and making sure that positivity is somewhere in the room is so important to just grasp onto and not let go of it. I, just... I have another funny story though. I have another funny yes, story. Yes, go. Uh, I think it was all 2016. Uh, talking about civil wars again. It was all 2016. Uh, it was the group with like EDG, Albus Knox, and who else was it? AHQ and we were one too. And literally we were screaming. And the night before the game, it was literally World War Three happening in the HTK training room. Uh, everyone was imploding. Everyone was about to explode and have the biggest fist fight of our lives. Well, a bit, a bit uh, dramatized for a comedic value, of course. <laughs> We're not obviously going to fist fight, but uh, 
the, there was a lot of tension in there, like huge tension. Uh, people wanted to throw stuff and whatnot, and we were like, oh, damn. Okay, let, okay, screw this. I, I really hate all of you guys. We don't want to be here. We just want to go home. And this was literally the night before the game, and then the, the games, uh, week two of groups, and then we go and we go 4 0, and then we clap everyone. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> it got to the point where things were going to get thrown at each other. Damn, that's, I mean, wait, that's next you, level. Normally it's like verbally, but when it gets a bit physical, then that's kind of like, damn. I, wait, okay, so can you? I heard this rumor about that roster specifically that. Um, when you guys made your run domestically in Europe, that the reason you started popping off on stage games is because you, you just stopped scrimming together because the yes. vibes were so yes. bad. Oh my God. It just, <laughs> yes. the opposite of reality, counter logic. <laughs> just don't. But Albus Knox did the same thing. They, they didn't scrim on a different reason because no one wanted to scrim them that world. So they were all just playing WoW and then they made it to out of group somehow as well. Oh no. Yeah, I mean, we were like, I think we lost to Splice uh with that roster and then we were like okay it's not really working i think or actually i don't remember if this is this timeline but i do remember that we were screaming and we were like okay things are going worse and worse uh we kind of all hate each other so let's just stop playing because the more we play the more we're gonna hate each other so we literally just stopped screaming and then we went on and we were just throwing people left and right on stage. It's one of the, and then we were like, okay, well, this works. <laughs> it's one of those things where you're just digging a hole and it just keeps getting deeper and deeper and deeper because you keep practicing and losing, getting more and more frustrated where you're just like, screw the hole. I'm just not even going to scream anymore, not practice, go on stage and then just flip it, you know, and see what happens. That it sounds like the literal worst situation I, ever. Imagine, imagine saying that. But you know, I think like it's probably one of the, the best solutions to a situation like that. Like sometimes the shareholder of your esports company is like, "How are things going with that How's team?" Practice like, going? Well, they've decided to stop practicing because there's they complete hate anarchy. Each other. <laughs> <laughs> but we're fine with it. This has worked before in the history of esports. Trust me, this, is, this has been fine. H two K twenty sixteen. You. It, semi-finals it was, it was impressive actually cool question on that Otto. do you think that stopping like as much as like we say that you're winning because you're not screaming do you actually think stopping screaming was the best thing to do in that scenario because if you just kept going screaming it would just get worse and worse and worse i mean i think if we kept screaming there we would uh, probably not make it as far we'd probably lose uh stage games more uh i just think the problem was that we didn't really know or like the individuals themselves didn't really know how to fix their issues so they just took the easy way out to just like distance from this distance themselves from each other and be like mm. well i don't know how to fix my problem with you so i'm just not going to interact with you so i did feel like back then there was not as much structure as there is now because these issues you kind of see them grow and fester and you can kind of start tackling them early on but back then there was literally no structure about around this stuff there was no uh coaching staff uh or like big coaching staff around this it was literally only one head coach i think that was the meta mm -hmm. and that's it and i mean probably back then was in, way over his head he didn't have any idea what to do and mm -hmm. i don't blame him like no one did you know yeah uh but i i felt like it is one of, it was one of those things where you're like is the end of the season uh, and what's the best way to tackle this issue? You can have short-term solution, like a band-aid to just not scrim, or a long-term solution when you actually get people to fix their issues. But we needed a short-term solution because playoffs was literally in like a week or two. And we were like, this is literally the only thing we can do is just don't piss each other off and just stop. <laughs> yeah. And I think people fail to realize sometimes at home, especially if you've never been a pro, or you've never been in those kind of environments, you're living with these players seven days a week, nonstop. You're scrimming, practicing yeah. on voice comms for six to seven hours, all in the same room, figuring out how to fix problems as a unit. 
And small things can really rub you the wrong way and it can grow and it can fester, right? Even the smallest of things like, you know, leaving things in my bedroom or just being annoying or like snoring at night or not being, you know, just the things that are just like you can fix, but you know, you don't really want to, you know, offend them or anything. And they, those are out of game problems, in-game problems as well. You know, you can't play this champion, so I can't play this. These problems really fester when you're living, breathing next to these people for nine to 10 months a year. Yeah. That it, it can really start to get, you know. I mean, communication is certainly hard, I think, in, in any professional environment, and doubly so when your work environment is also your home environment, yeah. something we talked about a little bit about earlier today. But um, speaking of communication, I would love to talk to you a bit about Trimby, because we, we had you on the podcast last year, and we were talking about Trimby as a player who was super eager and was like almost over-communicating in games, relaying way too much information, sometimes maybe not always relaying super useful information. But then uh, a couple weeks ago, or after week one, we saw your guys' comms video, and it sounds like Trimby is like Mr. Shot Caller extraordinaire. Um, how, how are you? How are you feeling about about this? About him and his development? Because um, I don't want to oversell it, but I would love to get your thoughts on how he's performed in the first two weeks because we've mm -hmm. been pretty excited about how well he's been doing. Yeah, uh, I do think though that last time or like last year when we had Euphoria, I talked about this. It was a bit different circumstances because. I think it was literally his first stage game or our first stage game as a as a roster or mm -hmm. as a team because uh, we were just doing full online and then the stage game happened where everyone just kind of flipped out because yeah different stage different pressure etc so maybe i mean i will give him the benefit there or i should have given maybe given him i think i did give him the benefit of the doubt that yeah it's just a new situation needs some adjusting but uh how he is now, I feel like he's always been, but it was just that unlucky circumstance back then where it was our first stage game and uh, kind of everyone messed up, you know, but uh, that was kind of like the obvious mess up, I think. So, yeah, I think outside of that, uh, last year when we talked about it, he didn't really have any screw-ups. His communication has always been uh, crisp like this. Um, but I do think that one year in LEC for him did a lot because right now I feel like he's come back with a lot more confidence and I feel like the environment also around him is something that he needs because he is a bit um how to say this he's a bit more on the introvert side well not really introvert but he's more like kind of uh, chilling with himself you know mm -hmm, he's mm -hmm. kind of wants mm -hmm. to keep to himself and stuff and he wants to have this like uh peace and quiet and I feel like now he has uh the environment is more suited to what he needs. So he's kind of thriving, I guess, is a good word, where he's just uh, finding himself and developing more as a player. And I feel like now communication system is also a bit uh, changed for us compared to last year. Everyone kind of knows his role and people don't really freak out and get super excited over things and everyone just uh, doing his what his role needs to do. So I feel like that's why he has this, uh, this room to grow. Or to show. So it sounds like the comms are a lot less stressful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, before, I mean, at least on stage last time when we went uh, before the euphoria, we, were, we would be like, oh my God, there's someone here. Go, 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 go. Yeah. Let's go, let's go. We can fight, we can fight. And then and now we're just like, oh, there's someone here. Oh, we can, we can maybe look here. Let's look here. And everyone just vibing, you know. Yeah, we're, just we're calm, chilling. chilling. Vibes are good, you yeah. know. How, I mean, that, that whole team environment just sounds like the biggest improvement for rogue and, and i'm excited to see how how far that takes you um and how much you guys are going to develop as well but i'm curious how you feel about your position in this whole thing especially with the teleport changes i feel like and your insanely low jungle proximity stats you're literally 
watching the team vibe <laughs> for like 15 20 minutes of the game and actual gameplay yeah how do you feel about playing top lane right now like how because you've played this role for so many years you're playing a lot of the same champions um that you've always played historically and now you're completely isolated on the island how do you feel about the game how do you feel about your performance and, and top lane in general right now I feel like it's also kind of like the direction that uh, us and coaching staff wanted to take because when when you have a new team and new pieces everywhere, you kind of want some degree of stability somewhere. So when we started, we're like, uh, coaching staff was like, okay, this kind of sucks for you, but you kind of have to take the L and play weak side because blah, 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 weak side king, all of this narrative <laughs> jazz thingy. <laughs> just, just take it and do it because you're good at it. And just give everyone else room to grow and get used to each other. And then when things are stable somewhere else, we can look to develop on your side as well. And I'm just like, I mean, sucks for me, but it kind of makes sense, you know. So I'm just going to do what's needed because I feel like, in a way, it's also the correct way to play. Because I feel like top lane leads don't really do anything, um, especially with the TV changes now. Uh, top lane literally needs to just be stable and not die and gather a lead by themselves. because. Um, yeah, bot lane and mid and jungle are always been the important role. Uh, when they get leads, they always come to you top lane to kind of and and you having fun. So um, that's kind of like what I'm always on the lookout now. And I'm just uh, chilling my lane and I look at bot and I'm like, yeah, guys, you go, you're doing great. Cheer them Keep on. Doing this, <laughs> go little rockstar. Yeah, <laughs> And then at the admin 14, I'm like, yeah, boys, I'm unleashed. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> unleashed, teleport, get it. It's actually <laughs> such a nice thing to say in the comms, guys. It's uh, I'm unleashed. I'm unleashed. I'm unle you actually have to say that. <laughs> Mandatory. Like, it feels so powerful. Even if you're 0-5, you're unleashed. So it, it feels yeah. like you have some, uh, some leverage in the game. Riot Games buffing the mental for top laners everywhere. <laughs> um, looking forward then to your specific matchups in top laner, you get the chance to play against Wonder and Alfari. You said this is the week. This is this is the week that defines it. Um, but you didn't give us really any expectations for how it's going to go. You just said this is the week that like we're going to prove whether how good we are. How how do you feel about this week's matchups? How do you feel about your top lane matchups? What are your thoughts on on these two games? Are you are you confident in the team? Yeah, I mean I'm confident for both games and I'm confident in my matchup as well. But it's just that I prefer my approach to just be. Kind of whatever happens, happens, because usually the results in real games uh, stem from practice. So if you put the work into practice, then you kind of get what you deserve at the end of the day. Because uh, after I miss playoffs from like 7-2 and all of this stuff, um, there's been so many times like this where you get disappointments like this. So I'm just kind of being more real, being more old man kind of mm -hmm. uh, mentality where I'm just... Uh, seeing whatever happens happens because in the way that also takes pressure off of me because i'm just trusting in the fact that um i put the work in and everyone put the work in so um whatever happens happens but i am confident i think that so far we're doing a good job in scrims i feel like um we're still getting better and i like the direction where the team is going and yeah i feel like we can get good results in, and I'm still thinking that it should be a 2-0 this week, uh, even though some people might find it controversial, but I have a lot of faith in uh, what we have so far, and yeah, I just want to keep, I just want to be real, and that's why I'm like, uh, yeah, this week is hard, but important. Got to go in with confidence and momentum. Yeah.
There you go. Momentum, speed, whatever else that, however that. It's about drive. It's about yeah. It's about drive. It's about power. <laughs> no, I mean I respect it. I think that like obviously from a broadcast side, we're always we're always going to want that soundbite of you being like, we're absolutely going to smash them. Mm. But I think as it's good to not be super emotionally invested in every game because it is a process. It is one game at a time, and ultimately it is just a weekend of two games. Yeah, and the last thing I'd ask you, Odo, actually, is you've been playing. I've looked at it here since 2014 in H2K. So that's we're coming on to like seven towards eight years of playing top lane nonstop in this league. What actually keeps you motivated? Is it the drive of competitive integrity or like getting that first title? Is it just the international events? Is it the crowds? Is it watching your teammates grow and helping them or being in a team environment? What actually keeps your fire going? Uh, now that crowds are gone, I kind of would want to play with crowds again. Uh -huh. And also, w one one of these random thoughts that I have is like, I'm playing for so long and LEC or like Rocho has never been to Romania. So I'm hoping uh -huh. that one point I get to to be in that crowd or like be, part, uh, be like in front of that crowd and be on the stage. So that's one of my uh, motivating factors. But also, I, I think it's just competition. I think... The fact that I get to compete uh, in doing something that I love um, is the biggest factor. It's obviously I would like to win a title as well. Um, after I lost the title last year, uh, after we got reverse swept, it hurt a lot, and I would want to to make it back there. But I also need to be real where I made it there one time in eight years. And I need to be real with myself because I believe in myself that I'm really, really good. Mm -hmm. But making it one time in eight years, I don't take that as a given, you know. So my main passion is just I want to compete. And it kind of goes back in my previous mentality where, like, if you put in the work, then at the end of the day, you'll get what you deserve. So if I get to play a finals again and win, then that's because I put in the work and I was passionate about competing. Uh, but, yeah, it's mostly just passion for competing and uh, hoping one day to be with my Romanian boys. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you've shown it. You've shown that you've been at the top uh, of the ladder in multiple teams and multiple leagues and multiple different years and multiple seasons with so many different roles and diversity. So uh, I'm behind you. I hope you get that title one day. I think you more than deserve it. Yeah, I think we're, we'll take it one week at a time, though. I agree. I'm excited to see the new heights that Rogue can climb to. Uh, I was also sad for you in the reverse sweep when we were casting that. I was like, oh, damn, this sucks for This Odo. really does, huh? That said, yeah. it's in the past. We'll look forward. Maybe this is the year, maybe not. But I respect the mentality, man. Keep the grind going. Um, that's it for us on Euphoria. Odo, thank you for joining us. Um, 2 a week for Rogue, potentially, but Odo's not going to oversell it. Uh, Shox is also back this weekend. Woo! Be excited. The return of the Queen. I'm um, insanely excited for that. She's also going to be on the desk with none other than Cadrill. And I'll be casting with Goldborg on day one for Rogue versus Fnatic. So we'll find out who will remain undefeated. And we'll find out in the weeks to come if Odo Womnik can complete the 18-0 split. This has been Euphoria. 18-0, <laughs> baby. 18-0. Only you and Fnatic are in the run. It's you and Fnatic. It's still pot. This is the this is the show. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>